Okay. I think Dave's waiting on the men's room. No, he's getting coffee. Sorry. No, I can Okay, one of the things that has been brought to our attention, and Dave's going to address it, is uh, a lot of what's going on with um, that we've got a lot of same-sex relationships. And we're going to talk, Dave's going to talk about that because what happens is, is that most of the time we don't talk too much about it because we're in a heterosexual relationship. But there are many same-sex relationships. But what happens is, is when we're talking about it, we're talking about everything is male and female. In fact, with April, we were talking about it, and she says, well, just take her relationship with Dylan, even though that's a heterosexual relationship. She's the attorney. She's the ball buster in the family, okay? And so maybe there's more male energy here than, you know, in... Uh, in <laughs> so you never know, okay? <laughs> so anyway, that's... And then we have Roland, who's a physician, and he says every chromosome in, a, in us is male and female. So what we're going to just talk about, and I'm going to let Dave talk a little bit about it. Thank and you. when anybody has any suggestions, please give them to us. Thank you so much. Oh, and anybody, a Q&A session, session at the end if you have any questions. Just write them out on a piece of paper. So my son's name was Mike. His name was Michael Guy. And uh, my son was gay. Uh, my son died of complications uh, from AIDS. Uh, he came into Alcoholics Anonymous nine years before he died. He called me up and said, Dad, I can't go any further. What? I don't know what to do. And I told him, the only thing I know to tell you to do is what I did. That's the only thing I know for sure works because I did it and it worked. And so he found an outpatient program, and they screened him and immediately found out that he was HIV positive. And he, he was really very, very scared when he called me because that at that time... Uh, sounded like a fairly uh, uh, for sure death sentence. Um, but he found a very good doctor. He got into Alcoholics Anonymous through an alcoholic out, through an outpatient program. And he, uh, he lived for nine years. And throughout that nine years, uh, his, his viral load hovered around zero throughout the whole time. Uh, his T-cell count was always up in the normal range, good. Uh, he had no health problems of any kind. And after about nine years, he woke up one morning with a pain in his upper right chest, which turned out to be a very aggressive lung cancer that uh, spread very quickly. And uh, I was so proud of him, and I was so grateful to him for the gift that he gave me that I don't, 
I'm not sure he even knew that he gave me, but it was the gift of of uh, being uh, non-judgmental about things I I don't really know anything about, and I loved him with all my heart. Uh, he was he had a very distinct feminine side. He was he was masculine, but he had a very distinct feminine side. He collected beautiful glass that he really loved, and uh, so and I I know myself that I am androgynous, and for those of you that don't know what that means, uh, it means that I have a easily discerned uh, feminine side uh, and so I I really I, I could not go on without just telling you that I mean, it's not it's not an embarrassment to me I was really proud of him really proud of him and he knew it because I I would I constantly told him, and I, in fact, uh, I tried to get him to get the hell out of Texas. You know, go someplace where there's more understanding and, you know, and less judgment. But he said, no, I was born here. I'll stick around. So he had a lot of courage, and uh, he was very well loved. He volunteered at his church. I mean, he just, he was just a very fine man. And uh, he's like all the rest of us. When he was doing his alcoholism, he was just an abomination like all the rest of us. <laughs> but when he got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, he was a fine, beautiful man, and I loved him with all my heart. So, uh, it is with uh, it is when we're talking about all this stuff. What we're really saying is that there are masculine and feminine elements in all of us. Some more pronounced than in others. Some of those have completely overpowered one side has overpowered the other. And uh, so what we're what we're really trying to say is that you can have beautiful relationships whatever's going on in your brain and, and in your body and uh, so that that's really what we're talking about okay okay tradition three Three already. For a tradition three. And listen, gang, it's 2.20. We're gone. So we're going to be out of here by four, okay, or at least on to the questions by four for sure. So don't worry about having to sit in these seats till 5 o'clock. And besides, you can't go anywhere now, right now, anyway. Look outside. <laughs> Just be glad you're in here where it's nice and dry with all of us. Okay, tradition three, the basic requirement for a good relationship is a mutual desire to make it work. There are many reasons why people get in relationships or stay in relationships other than a mutual desire to make it work. 
feelings of financial insecurity. I see this all the time. I happen to have the privilege of working with a lot of women, and I watch women set their sights for men with money and then go get in these relationships and absolutely live in these horrible relationships because they would rather have the money than have a good relationship. Somehow or another, that's what it is. Or other financial things, such as there's children, and women stay in relationships because they're afraid that they financially can't support their children, so they stay in abusive relationships. And I see this, I see this with men as well that stay in relationships because they feel obligated, they have children, they need to stay in a relationship because they feel like they need to support the children and, you know, get them in college, and after I get all that done, then I'll leave. All kinds of reasons that people have uh, get in relationships that, and stay in them even though they know they're not working. And the other one is that I see a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous is people or women. Let me just say mostly women because that's what I deal with and what I work with. The what I work with is they will get in a relationship because they would rather be in a relationship that is dysfunctional than to be alone. Being alone is worse than being in a dysfunctional relationship. In order for it to work. The tradition says the basic requirement is you have to have a desire to want it to work because the relationship is going to require work. It's going to require effort on our part in order to have a good relationship. So what happens is, is that today, I mean, when Dave and I got together, it's like, what happens when you get in a new relationship? I said it. You know, you're just so enthralled with each other and the hormones are flying so fast. And But now, today, I mean, we, we, we want to do what it takes to make this relationship work. And I'm grateful for that. We both want to be here. And so we're both willing to go that extra mile. Learn more about that's how we how, what happened and we were told these traditions and now we pass on what we learn and we're passing on to you what we've learned and how we've learned to try to compromise and care for each other. Okay, the checklist. Do my actions say that I have a desire to be in this relationship? And it's really important. My actions, again, back to that, are important. How do I act? How do I act, you know, how do I act towards day? Do I act like I want to be here? Yes. I try to act. Am I able to share my feelings with my partner? Yes. Um, do I feel safe? Yes. These are the things that, have, that I need in order to continue to have a desire to be in this relationship. Tradition four. Hmm. Just sneak up on me. Yeah, snuck up on you. <laughs> Okay, tradition four. Each of us should be autonomous except in matters affecting. I'm just trying to get it so they can hear me. I'm so loud and he's so soft. Okay, each of us should be autonomous except in matters affecting the other, our family, our society as a whole. Um, 
nobody's going to live their life uh, committed to making you happy. <laughs> it's not going to do it. So, you know, and, and if that's, if you need somebody to act and talk in a way that keeps you in your comfort zone, that's not going to happen. They don't worry about your comfort zone all that much. <laughs> they worry about it if they love you. And they're not, you know, and if, if they really love you, they're not going to do anything intentionally to hurt you. But, the, but they don't know what's going on in your head. So something they said yesterday might not be anything. But if they say the same thing today, you're in a different mood about something. And today it's going to sting. And, and so they just, nobody's going to do that. So uh, it says each partner should be autonomous except in matters affecting each other, other members, children, or parents, or the relationship as a whole. So what we must learn to do is, is overcome or learn how to live peacefully, comfortably, with the two biggest issues, I think, that affect our, our lives, our psyche and thus our lives. And that is selfishness and fear. We must learn to become unafraid and unselfish. And you can ask yourself, I mean, there's some ways you can, you can explore that, you know. Uh, you can ask yourself questions like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Is that, is that going to deprive me of my life, my continued existence? Uh, almost always the answer is no. Almost always whatever we're afraid of never happens. We spend a lot of time in fear. And what we're afraid of never even happens, never even comes close to happening. And, and that's because that just seems to be a, a human problem. Not everybody has it, but it seems like most alcoholics have it. What if this, what if that? Um, so, our uh, Polly's reason for existence is not to see that my needs and our wants uh, are taken care of. You know, my thinking uh, needs to be how, how does whatever is about to happen, how does this affect us, not how does this affect me? Does it affect us? And, uh, you know, there are times when you know, things are coming at you, and the only choice you have, the only choice you have, is to just hunker down and hurt for a while. That's it. It's not, there's nothing else you can do. I used to get up into Montana once in a while, and if you've ever seen a horse in a hailstorm, they can smell it coming. They know it's coming. And they know it's going to be hail. And they don't care if you're sitting on their back and want to go back to the barn at full speed. They know they can't make it back to the barn. 
and they just turn their butt into the wind and they just kind of hunker down and they just stand there and let it come in behind them and pound on their butt and they just stand there hunkered down and wait till it's over and that's, they know that's the only choice they have and, and there's, there is a wisdom there you know and if you have any sense you'll just hunker down with them you don't have any choice either <laughs> you're about to get held on <laughs> so um, so that uh, you know my, my fondest wish for Polly is that she become the very best Polly she can be whatever that means to her you know don't ask me what she should be ask her what she should be and, and whatever she says that's what I support that's what I'm in favor of and there was a time when that was not true with me because I was afraid well if I you know if I really uh, want her to be the very best Polly she can be that means she's probably going to dump me no you know no she's not no that's just you know that's alcoholic thinking we're so good at that too uh, so <laughs> Is this threatening? Well, not not if you are secure within yourself. How do you get secure? Well, I found out by fulfilling the conditions of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and form a relationship with God and, uh, and worry much less about me and more about you. Uh, I'm okay. So uh, what's more threatening when you get like that is to tighten your grip be grasping hold them don't let them go away <laughs> that, will, that will create a determination in them to escape from your clutches <laughs> that, that is unassailable they will do it they will get away and you can wave them goodbye as they disappear over the hill but uh but autonomy means self-governing, okay? So we have to realize that we're all God's kids. We're not just somebody's father or brother or, you know, or mother or whatever. Uh, when we ask God what he'd like for us to do one day at a time and then go about trying to do his will as we understand it, we don't endanger our relationship. You know, that's, that's, that doesn't happen. You know, so I have a prayer that I say in the morning. Uh, I don't I don't get up very quickly in the morning when I wake up, and I have a few things that I have to to do. Usually, mental they're almost all mental, and uh, one of the things I do is say my my morning prayer, uh, which is, God, I want you to show me how to live my life today in such a way that if I should cross your mind, you'll spontaneously smile. I don't know how to do that. And I'm not going to shoot for anything less. I don't, I don't need more mediocrity in my life. I'm up to my lips in mediocrity. What the hell do I need more of that for? So, yeah, it's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big request. But I got a big God. Does he smile? I don't even know if he smiles for crying out loud. <laughs> but he gets the point. And you do too. 
So, you know, uh, so we talked we talked a lot about unity. You know, we asked God to treat us as a unit, treat us as two halves of one whole, and uh, to show us how to stay together, to support and encourage each other, and uh, and our love for each other, and to help us behave as He would want us to. You know, we have we have. Uh, Emotions that uh, were brought out by our alcoholism that were just really reprehensible. I mean, they were just like, whoa, can't believe you did that. But we do. So we just think, I think, that, it, that I need to allow Polly to be free, to be responsible for herself without my judgment or my criticism. And, uh, you know, the, the need to judge and to criticize... Is really deadly. It isolates us. You know, uh, it's our method of parceling out blame. Whose fault is this? Uh, we're deciding who's right and, and who is wrong or what is wrong. And uh, we rarely assess the good in ourselves or in other people for that matter. <laughs> but, you know, and, and so most of our judgments are critical and negative. And, and all that does is just release a lot of critical negative energy in us because that's not who they are at all. You know, there's a lot of things in this world we just can't see or know about. We just can't. We're not gonna. Not, not made the way we are. You know, one of the things that drives science crazy right now, and this is the universe is full of stuff called dark matter and dark energy. They call it dark because they can't see it. They can't build an instrument to extend the range of our vision or the range of our hearing. They will even detect it. They just know it's there because planets wobble when they shouldn't. Or they bunch up when there's no reason for them to, that we can see. So, uh, you know, so I'm sure by now you know that uh, what what is, uh, who really has a good uh, piece of advice to offer on this is the uh, the third patriarch of Zen. You knew I was going to do that, didn't you? <laughs> the third patriarch of Zen says, if you wish to see the truth, hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. Don't you love that? <laughs> you know, and it's also true you're going to find what you look for, okay? That's what you're going to find. And if you're looking for thorns, you're not ever going to see a rose when you look at a rose bush. But you'll see every damn thorn on the branch. So, uh, you know, another thing about judgment is that what that's saying, what I'm saying to you if I'm judging you, is that I believe there's a right and a wrong and that I can see and differentiate between them better than you can. Is it not my right, my duty, to assess the way you drive and how you talk and how you dress and think and believe? No, it's not my right. It's not my duty. And why would I care? So... Uh, 
the checklist is are there are there do I feel that there are only certain ways to do things and do they happen to be my ways per chance <laughs> uh, do I always think about how or if my decisions will affect affect my partner am I willing to go to any lengths her lengths not mine to protect the integrity of our of our marriage do i carefully avoid injuring her emotionally physically spiritually do i judge or criticize her in any way well, of course i do i'm a human being how can i not i don't do it much but i occasionally you just look up and there you are you're doing it so don't expect more of yourself than you can give right now god will god will slowly or at least it's been my experience, slowly. Straighten all that stuff out. Um, so, uh, to what extent do I depend on Polly's looks, race, education, age, dress, job, behavior, or other attributes for my personal self-esteem? What does Polly have to do to keep my precious ego fluffed up? Five. <laughs> Tradition five. A relationship has but one primary purpose, to love each other and serve as an expression of God's love. This tradition has to do with our primary purpose and fully understanding what our primary purpose is. Our primary purpose is to express the theme of love, loyalty, family, and unity in all that we do and to share that knowledge freely with others. And one of the things that I like that I we I talked about, I hit on this a little bit in the other tradition, how I want to be an example of marriage. I believe in marriage, I believe in the institution of marriage, I love being married. But I also know it requires work and there are things that I have to do to in order to make my marriage work. And that is that I, I have a sponsor, I have to do the, I have to talk to a sponsor, I have to sponsor, I have to find out what, what, you know, what Dave likes, what he doesn't like. I learn those things. And we've asked each other what those things are. And today, we're pretty good. Like I told you about the house when, we, when he bought our condo. I had no problems whatsoever. I knew that it would be just perfect. Because we've been together enough that he knows what I like, I know what he likes. And we were, it, was, it worked out perfectly. Another thing is, is how I behave in public in my relationship. I don't know about you, but when I am around people that are fussing and fighting and, and being unkind to each other, that makes me real uncomfortable. I don't like the way that makes me feel. So consequently, I don't do those things in public. Because I don't want other people to be uncomfortable because of the way I act in my relationship. So it's real important that I act in my relationship like and not be ugly to Dave. If I have anything to say to him, I wait till we're alone. And hopefully we're mature enough today that we can postpone having some kind of you know, altercation that we don't have to do it in public any longer, that we can wait until we're alone. And when I say that, I, that is maturity, not having to impulsively behave however we're behaving. Hopefully we have a little bit more control of our impulses. 
So in Tradition 5 asks that I give comfort and encouragement to my partner, and that's what I try to do. And do, and the, one of the checklists is, is, do I have a primary purpose? And I know what it is. Yes, to be an example of a loving relationship because it's what I want to be. I want, I'm, I have a, you know, I want to be in this. I have a desire to make this relationship work, as I talked about in Tradition 3. I have a desire, and in Tradition 5, I want to be an example of that desire for this relationship to be a relationship of attraction. Tradition 6. Tradition six, we ought never single-handedly endorse, finance, or lend our name to any outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our commitment to each other. And in, it, in its simplest, um, this means uh, that you can't tell your spouse who they have to vote for. <laughs> uh, it is, it's my belief that a partner ought not to try to be overly supportive uh, spiritually, emotionally, or physically to the relationship. That is to say, uh, I'm not going to work harder on Polly's program than she does, or yours if I'm your sponsor. Because, uh, why? Well, because I think there's a real good chance that I might be getting in God's way. That's, I consider that to be his problem. You know, if I ha if I have to work the steps for her, no, I don't think so. You know, I had enough trouble working them for me, and and I feel that way about the guys I sponsor too. You know, it it keeps it keeps me personally responsible for myself, but that responsibility that I assume does not bleed over onto you and how well your program and your life is going. You know, you have to know, you have to know, if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, that your sobriety and your life and your well-being is between you and God. It has never been between you and me, and it never will be. It's between you and God, and what God does with his kids is none of my business. You know, you have to know that if I get hit by a car or get drunk or whatever, you need to be in a position where your sobriety and, and the, the, the joy of your life is not at risk. There was an old man from Laguna who used to say, uh, don't, don't hang your sobriety on me. I have feet of clay. I'll fail you. I won't mean to. And if I do, I'll be sorry I did, but I'm just another human. And I will inevitably, in one way or another, I will inevitably fail you. You hang your sobriety on your relationship with your higher power, where it properly belongs. So, uh, uh, I, I, I can't I can't bear that burden for you. You know, I mean, there are people, if they go out and get loaded, it will put me on my knees sobbing uncontrollably 
but there's nothing I can do about it. Do I wish there was? No, I am not big enough, and I'm certainly not strong enough to be God. So, uh, anything I anything I do to divert their their dependence from God to me will just harm them. It won't help them. It'll harm them. So, being needed to be needed is a, is a kind of a different thing. You know, there's a lot of us that need to be needed. And that usually falls into the area of, uh, of romance, trying to make us feel secure. Well, they can't leave because they need me. <laughs> really? <laughs> wonder if they know that. <laughs> so, uh, so we do that a lot of times. We, we place ourselves in the role of helper or fixer or enabler or something. So, uh, you know, which, which means you wind up with a, with a handful of sick dependencies, and you're not ever going to get well with those. So, uh, because partners complement one another. They're not, they're not crutches for one another. Being total, totally dependent upon another person isn't living, and it's surely not love. So... Uh, we are proud of each other. We admire each other for different reasons. Uh, we learn a lot from each other. Uh, on a personal note, uh, Polly is one of the kindest, most non-judgmental people that I know. I, I watch her sponsor many people. If I told you how many, there would be a loud gasp. <laughs> but and she, I watch her work tirelessly on behalf of AA. That, that's what she does. That's who she is. And uh, and I, I don't take any credit for her acts. And uh, so, you know, no other person knows the content of your heart or knows the content of your thoughts completely but you. And the true content... Of, of a human heart is is almost impossible to put into words. It's just something you feel. It's like uh, you know everybody knows what a rose is. Everybody knows what a rose smells like. Is there anyone who would volunteer to tell me in words what a rose smells like? You can't do it. You just can't do it. So. Uh, checklist uh, what is motivating me if I try to be all things to my partner am I trying to make myself indispensable because of my own insecurity um, can I hear God's voice when I'm screaming at Polly <laughs> <laughs> not usually <laughs> but I scream anyway what the hell uh, so and do I take responsibility for my own spiritual, emotional, and physical needs? Yeah, it took a long time. This is your life, and it unfolds slowly. Just let it unfold at whatever pace it unfolds at. 
Don't try to tear it open to see what's ahead. Go one day at a time. That, that is a really good piece of advice that we get from AA for fun and for free. Take things slowly, one day at a time. It works a lot better that way. Okay, seven, do it, to it, please. Tradition seven, each of us ought to strive to be fully self-supporting spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And uh, Dave is not responsible for me. We love each other, but he's not responsible for me. And uh, one of the things that I like to share is when Dave and I decided that we wanted to get married, I went to my sponsor, and my first sponsor was a man. And he had been a Monsignor priest, and he had left the priesthood to marry an Asian woman. And uh, I loved his relationship. I loved their relationship. I thought it was beautiful. And when Frank, when Dave and I went to talk to Frank, Frank said, see yourself as two oak trees. Plant yourself firmly in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, just like two oak trees. Nurture yourself with the traditions, with the steps and the traditions and the concepts. And he said, one day, like those two strong oak trees, you'll grow. And one day you'll look up and you can't tell where one begins and the other one ends. And that's what Dave and I have done. We have remained. Dave has a sponsor and it's not me. And I have a sponsor and it's not him. And Dave and I have remained in Alcoholics Anonymous strongly. We do different things in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'm, I really love sponsorship. I sponsor a lot of women. I work with a lot of women. That's my passion. Besides the things we do like this, workshops or speaking or stuff like that. But that's one of the things that I have a passion for. I do a lot of service at the group level. If it's, you know, if it's a job in the group or whatever, making coffee, cleaning up. I've always had a job. <clears throat> in my home group. I believe I have to have a job. I am, I do not do any service at the area level. Now, Dave does. He loves that. He's been a DCM. He's been, you know, head of committees. He's done all kind of things. He's, he works with Intergroup. He's really involved with Intergroup in Jacksonville. I don't want to do that kind of service. It, it makes me crazy. <laughs> I can go and they have that microphone lined up there. And everybody gets up and they say the same thing over and over. My type A personality just won't let me shut up, sit down. I'll buy the coffee pot. You know, it's just like, <laughs> don't argue over a $10 coffee pot. But And what I have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous is we all have our niche. We all have that. It's like putting together something like this, like Dylan and April and the people that have helped you, putting together things like that. That is, a, that is a gift. That's something you've learned to do. And Alcoholics Anonymous, the things that starting a meeting, Henry, like you've done with the Thursday night meeting, and then you've got a lot of people that you get around you to help. That's, those are things everybody finds a niche in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I started off being very involved in prisons and institutions, like going into hospitals and, and treatment centers, taking, taking meetings, going to prisons. I've never been to prison, but my sponsor, he worked in prisons. He took, you know, he did things that he was a psychologist after he, you know, as well as, a, you know, had been an ex-priest. And he went into the prisons a lot and he drugged the people he sponsored into prisons. So I was always in prisons. I haven't been in any, I have done no prison work in four years since I moved to Jacksonville. But I have never, ever been without having some kind of institutional commit, uh, commitment. Not everybody likes to do that. But thank God for the people who do. So find your niche in Alcoholics Anonymous and go really shine it up and polish it and do it. Make, and just do that niche. And that's what Dave and I both have done. He doesn't sponsor like I do. I'm on the phone all the time. I, if he was on the phone like I am, it would drive him crazy. But that's because we do different things. So what happens is, is that we all are self-supporting in some way. I have to take care of my program. It's not Dave's responsibility to say, Polly, go to the doctor. You know, you need to take care of yourself. You need Those are my responsibilities. It's not his responsibility to tell Polly, you need to go work out. You need to go exercise. Watch what you eat. These are not his responsibility. I am self-supporting. These are the things that I need to do in order to maintain. I have to take care of my program. If I'm not sober, we have nothing. So I have to take care of my program. And one of the things as we walked over, one of the greatest gifts is health. We were talking about that. That's my responsibility. And I don't know about you, but it's taken me a long time, and I'm still not good at it, to take care of myself. I don't know anything about taking care of myself. These are things that we've had. I mean, I, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that left to my own devices, I'll self-destruct. I'm a self-destruct. I'm a, I self-destruct. So learning to take care of myself is, is, a, is something I've had to learn to do. So all of this stuff, spiritually, Dave doesn't need to tell me to go to a meeting or to read a book or to make sure I say my prayers in the morning. Those are my responsibilities. So we have to learn to be self-supporting through our own contribution, not only in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I need to do that in my relationship. Tradition 8. Tradition 8, our, our relationship should remain forever an unprofessional, free, and giving relationship each to the other and to any of God's kids. Oops, sorry, Dave. Thank you, Rowan. Start over. Start over, honey. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Tradition 8, our relationship should remain forever an unprofessional, free, and giving relationship each to the other and to any of God's kids that come or are sent our way. Um, so they need, you know, whatever you're going to put into it, it needs to be free and from the heart. You know, freely ye have received, freely give. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the times we don't really get it. My, my daughter explained to me one time how, what it means when you're asked to take out the trash, you know. I say, Daddy, can you take out the trash? Don't say, I will in just a minute, or I will as soon as the first commercial comes on. You know, if I, if I could wait, I would. I wouldn't bother you to begin with. You know, and when you take it out, uh, look in the bottom 
of the of the, the thing the bag is in and see if it's got a lot of crud in the bottom and if it does wash it out before you bring it back in the house and when you bring it back in the house get out an empty bag and put it back in there and put it back where it belongs so you know that's not my style <laughs> I want to wait <coughs> and hopefully they'll forget it <laughs> but you know but as we've already said you know neither one of us is boss you know if anything we run from being the boss nobody wants in our house wants to be the boss uh, so and it also means that I have to take a, avoid taking a professional or a know-it-all attitude. Because in the final analysis, you know, personal opinions are just that. They're personal. And uh, I, I, neither of us is a certified expert on alcoholism or, or the 12 steps or sex or marriage or medicine or child psychology or spirituality or humility. I don't know what Polly should call her sponsor or go to a meeting. God has never whispered in my ear, hey, Dave, here's what I want you to get Polly to do. <laughs> you know, so uh, he, must, he must go straight to her if he has something for her to do because he doesn't use me. Thank you, baby Jesus. Uh, so... Being in touch with with things like this uh, allows us both to be free, you know. And and if you and I are going to soar, we have to be free. We can't soar if we're not free. So, um, do I uh, do my my identity and feelings of self worth depend on my relationship? They used to. They don't anymore. You know, and I got to ask you, who or what was your role model for a healthy relationship? <laughs> Some people are cringing. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody taught me anything about how to have a relationship. Nobody in my family taught me anything about anything. They just didn't. Do I think my family loved me? Yeah. Nobody told them they should do that. Because nobody told them anything. So they, they had nothing to pass on to me. Uh, so, you know, my role model was not what is generally uh, considered good. You know, all these people uh, around... I love sweeping generalizations, don't you? All these people. Uh, but, you know, there are many people now that just raise hell because the school is doing sex, sex education and so forth. And, well, that's for the parents to do. Well, then why don't you do it? You know, like, don't you think it's somebody needs to do it? I don't think the school is a good place either. I think it's a crappy place. But I think it's better than no place. You know, I asked my mother one time where babies come from when I was a little bitty kid. And she started off telling me that God 
God prepares a basket of love in a mother's heart. Well, I was only about eight or nine years old, and I knew that was a load of crap. I I still didn't know where they came from, but they damn sure didn't come from any basket. So, you know, uh, so I'm not real thrilled about people uh, assuming responsibility for parents, but... It's stuff that, you know, we have to know. It would be helpful for, our, for us to know. And, and if the parents... And I don't, I don't think parents are all that negligent. I think it's really, you know, we have just so distorted some aspects of human life that it's really hard for, for some parents. Maybe they're afraid to get last questions about what they did. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so the big thing is, do I really understand that I am going to reap what I sow? That is a that's a karmic law that you're not going to escape from. You're going to reap what you sow, and I don't know how that works. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know how the universe pulls that off, but it does. And, and you, I don't know of anything spiritual that I have ever run into in my life that didn't say that. You're going to reap what you sow. So, nine. Okay, I'm going to do tradition nine. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll finish up. Tradition nine, our relationship ought never be organized or under the control of only one partner. Uh, And that is David 79 and I'm 75. You should quit saying that. I know. But I'm just, I want to make sure you guys know that we're from a, you know, from an older generation. They know already. (laughs) And, And my, when I was growing up, Even though my mother was the one who was educated, she was a nurse, and my father was not, and he, you know, he was a contractor. But whatever happened, it was like my dad was the head of the household. And when I got married, I married an Air Force officer. And it was, and I was 18 years old, and that was, you know, in 1959, long time ago. And it was almost, that was the same kind of lifestyle. You know, it was like my whole life. We moved, we went, everything depended on what was going on with him, where his job took him, all of that. And then he gets sick. He comes back from Vietnam, and not long after that, he gets sick. Now, and yet all the time he was gone, I was the one in charge, all right? So it was, it was just like, you know, life was just, as I said earlier, like a walking contradiction. And yet I was in charge. And one time when my son was getting married, uh, her, his wife, his mother was, his wife's mother was a single mom. And she said something about her, you know, her mother being a single mom. And James said to her, Well, my mom was a single mom. And I said, your mom was not a single mom. You had a dad. And he said, yes, but he was never there. And I want you to know that that kind of denial is where I was. I absolutely did not even realize 
that that responsibility had been mine. Even though when I got into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I totally realized that my children were very messed up because of my abuse to them because of my alcoholism and that their dad had not been there either to protect them or defend them or anything against my alcoholism and how I treated them. But somehow or another, I was not aware of that. But I had this idea in my head that he was the man and I was the woman and I was sharing with somebody in here uh, earlier before we started about how our whole generation has changed. I mean, rarely do you see, as it all started, as rarely do you see, you know, where both parents aren't working. And now it's how many times you see where there's single parents. And it's not always women. We have many, many friends who have, who are male who have been single parents. So what happens is, is how many family, how we grow up now in single homes. So what happens is, is you don't have this organization that you think everything ought to be just a certain way because it's not our reality anymore. It is simply not our reality. And the thing about it is, it hasn't been for a long time. It hasn't been our, rea our reality. And it's not organized. And one of the things is, is that I used to say that, you know, all I ever wanted was money, men, and mansions. And what happened is, is both of my husbands, my first husband ended up getting very ill, was 100% retired, um, medically retired from the military. I had to go to work to support I said, we didn't make enough, you know, he didn't get enough just on that retirement. I had to work and help support us. Lo and behold, Dave and I get married. He's a computer scientist. He's got a big job. And then we moved to California. And then we're married for nine years. And all of a sudden, the bottom falls out of aerospace. And guess what? I'm the breadwinner again. That's not the way I planned it. I didn't plan it that way. I'm going to only work for fun. This is not going to be for real. So this organization is not, it's not, you know, I'm not going to be the one, the one, but that ended up being the way it was. So we can't organize our relationship. We don't know how it's going to unfold. We don't know how things are going to happen. So we got to be prepared to be flexible and not be organized. And one of the things that happens is if you read AA Comes of Age, Dr. Tebow talks about there's two characteristics found in every alcoholic, defiant individuality and grandiosity. I want it my way. This is the way I see it. This is the way I planned it. Well, guess what? Go tell God your plans and watch him laugh. Because what happens is sometimes it unfolds in ways that we don't expect. And we're just going to have to be flexible and go with it and just do the next indicated step, whatever that is. And most of the time it's, you know, with Dave, he ended up, when Dave lost his job, we didn't have two years of unemployment. We had six weeks. And what happened is, is he went to work as a computer scientist. He had two minimum wage jobs. You know what? You have to go to work. It was just the, the whole thing that we had to do. And 
you know what? We managed. We absolutely managed. And God has a great sense of humor. We ended up losing our house, and it was foreclosed on, and I was so embarrassed, and oh my God, what are people in AA going to think, and all of this kind of stuff, you know, they're going to wonder what step we're working, you know, I'm working because this kind of stuff is happening, but what ended up happening was, is God is amazing. He ended up giving us this house that was four bedrooms, three baths that we rented that was half the money of the house we were buying. And what we ended up being able to do was help a lot of women who had who were really having trouble. And they lived with us on and off from different times during the time we lived in that house for over 10 years before we left California. God is always in charge. And when Dave got a job, he got a company car, and a lot of these women didn't have a car to go to work, and we now had a car we could help them go to work. You never know. It's always going to work out. When it seems like it's the worst, God's got a plan. I just don't know what it is, and I wish he would tell me, but sometimes he just doesn't do it. And it just has to unfold. But if we just realize that it is not under our control by one partner or or the other, God's in control. And all I have to do is just be still. And Dave and I have to grab hold of each other and just do the next indicated step. Tradition. Well, let's go take a look. Oh, go ahead. You guys want to take a break or just go ahead and wrap it up? What do you want to do? Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Okay, let's wrap it up. You just hold up your hand. Okay. Okay. Tradition 10. Tradition 10. We are each entitled to our own opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Uh, we don't drag our relationship into, into public controversy. Uh, you know, heat, heated controversy is usually fired by some form of fear and, and, and uh, carries with it power-driven anger. And, uh, you know... So next time you get into a heated argument with your mate, uh, if you listen very carefully, you will hear their mind snap shut. <laughs> then ask yourself this question. How likely is it that God's will for me is to hurt or scream and yell at one of his kids? Do I want to have to say to God, I'm so sorry I hurt one of your children that you love so much? But sometimes I just cannot or will not control myself. So, um, I, no, I don't want to have to say that to God. So, you know, we always try to be courteous. I mean, the very essence of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and Al-Anon uh, is treating others uh, with courtesy, patience, tolerance, courtesy, kindness, you know, a, a quiet, composed response will dampen anger, and it adds to our dignity and stature when we're able to avoid saying things we will surely regret, you know. Uh, we're always railing away. It's somebody else's fault. I'm innocent. Uh, <laughs> you know, and besides, feelings are temporary. 
unless you mouth them off and then you give them an authenticity and a longevity you don't want them to have. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, they're remembered. You know, people will remember those things. You will remember those things. You know, we say that, you know, if somebody uh, takes a shot at you in an unkind manner, that uh, they can apologize all day long, but you won't forget it. You will always remember it. Well, they'll remember it, too. They'll remember that they did that. And they're not going to like it any more than you do. So it, it's a lose-lose deal. So if you love someone, you act like you love them. You know, you treat them like you love them. Uh, if you want to know whether or not you were loved, ask your heart. Your heart knows everything. You, there's a lot of times when I see people who, who, uh, who know that you know it's over. They don't admit it. They can't admit it. But you know, they just they just can't. There's some, there are times when it's the truth is just too hard uh, to face. So, um, am I publicly critical of Polly? If so, uh, what evidence do I have to offer that I have sound judgment? I don't have any. I'm a member of a Alcoholics Anonymous, after all. So, uh, what would Polly say if you asked her whether or not I loved her? Ask her, see what she says. <laughs> do either, either of us have emotional scars from repeated heated controversy and struggles for power and control? No, we don't, because both of us, neither one of us likes confrontation or loud voices or heated anger or anything like that. We shy away from it. And uh, so we don't, we don't have any scars along that, along that line. Uh, so do I expect or need my partner to see and feel the same as me on issues? You know, uh, there's a Bob Dylan song. I ain't looking for you to feel like me, see like me, or be like me. All I really want to do is, baby, be friends with you. And... Uh, if there's anybody in the old in the audience besides me old enough to remember that song, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Uh, so, can I believe in the idea that it's really none of my business what other people think of me, but my life depends on what I think of them? Yeah, I can and do. Eleven, traditional eleven. We individually convey our beliefs and philosophy through attraction rather than promotion. We're each in charge of our own anonymity. One of the things that's really important to me is that I behave and act always like a married, sober woman. And uh, kind of early in Dave and my marriage, uh, I started being asked to go out and speak, and it wasn't always, David, I didn't always get asked together. And it's always been, been very important to me that I act and behave like that, that I am a married woman and that uh, I act and behave like that. Uh, as I've gotten older, 
it's I really love that because now that if if there's somebody that's younger, some of the cute guys, because I love I'm the mother of sons and I love guys, especially young guys. I can give them a big old hug now and a smooch, and nobody's going to take that any other way than just exactly what it was. And I love that. I have so there are some good things about getting older. There really are. You know, nobody's going to you know suggest you're flirting with them or you know putting the make on them. It's really great. So those, those there's a lot of good things about that. And uh, we're in charge of our of each of our own anonymity, how we behave, how we demonstrate our you know how we are out in public or in, and with each other. Those things we're in charge of. And I take that, you know, I take that really serious. I want, because again, I've said this many times today, I love being married. And I like other people, because a lot of times you hear people say, For no, I'm never, ever going to get married. I never see anybody's marriage work. It never works. And uh, I believe it's a good thing. I'm so grateful that marriage now, same-sex marriages, are so many states now. And I love that because I do love the institution of marriage. I absolutely love it. And there's a thing uh, that I want to say that the spirit of this tradition, talking about the anonymity, is that we accept another person as they are putting both the golden and silver and silver rules into practice within the relationship. The golden rule is, of course, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the silver rule is, don't do for others what they need to do for themselves. And what Dave and I try to do is we try to mind our own business. Both of us are in the Al-Anon, if any of the rest of you are also Al-Anons as well. We're in Al-Anon. And if it's not in your hula hoop, it's none of your business. And we try to really remember that. If it's not in my hula hoop, it's none of my, you know, it's none of my business. Do I sit and watch him do things and think, oh, if he would just listen to me, it would be so much better. I may say that to myself. I just don't give it voice. And what happens usually is, is I find out that the way he did it was absolutely perfect. And had he done it my way, it would have totally screwed up. So what I need to do is stay inside my own hula hoop. Tradition 12. Uh, oh, Mike, Mike. <laughs> You're Thank you. You're falling down on the job. <laughs> okay, tradition 12, anonymity, which meets selflessness, uh, is a spiritual foundation of our way of life as mates, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. So uh, we've learned that lessons can be learned from everybody. Some will teach us how to be and others will teach us how not to be. Uh, we're reminded that our primary purpose is to be of service, go anywhere, do anything, to express God's love, to treat others as he has treated us. Uh, how, how do you treat your mate? You know, if you're not pleased with the answer, ask yourself this, what can I do to change? 
because you're going to have to change. You know, you have to, fundamentally, you have to decide for your life. Nobody else can decide for you. Do I want to be in a relationship of some kind with another human being, or do I just want to be a hermit? And if you want to be a hermit, go find a nice cave and lay in some firewood and tidy up the place, and that's home. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to have somebody in your life with you, if you want to have, I can tell you this right out, and I believe it, if you want to have a relationship with another human being, you got to change. You have to change. Not for them, for you. You've got to change for you so you can fulfill your life. And, and it's easy enough to, to change. In AA, it's, it's very easy to change. You make friends, you, you know people, uh, your, your life improves, your opinion of yourself goes way up. You know, uh, you get to know the joy, a, a much higher level of joy than you did before. But you've got to change. Uh, you know, and no, nobody got here knowing how to be a, a, good, a good partner, you know. Nobody got here knowing how to do that. And nobody told us how to do that. Uh, we've all had to learn, and sometimes it's been really slow and painful trudging on how to do better. But it is available to you if you want it. And it's for fun, and it's for free, and we found our answers in AA and Al-Anon and by uh, Cecil's Little Prayer. There's a guy named Cecil Cargill who lives at Prince Rupert, or I'm sorry, Prince Albert, uh, Saskatchewan, and he has this little prayer. When he goes to conferences, he passes it out, he keeps little copies of it, very short and to the point. He keeps little copies of it, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'll guarantee it's going to make your sphincter oscillate. <laughs> and, and it is, God treat me tomorrow the way I treat my mate today. <laughs> Tell you. <laughs> scary. <laughs> scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, scary, scary. <laughs> so, um, so that's it. So, it is, is if you need a relationship that has a spiritual dimension, you know, which means you got to have a spiritual awakening. Most of us are not hip deep in spiritual uh, dimensions when we get here. Uh, you got to learn to place your common welfare first. You know, you have to face questions like, what happens to me if my mate disappears? Uh, how do I, do I treat my mate one way in public and another way in private? Do I care if others see every aspect of how I treat my mate? Uh, no, I don't. Can I comfortably say, I can't do anything, Polly can't watch? There he goes again, Dylan. <laughs> 
Do I have an immature need for attention and recognition? Used to. Do I have personal integrity? Do now. Can I be true to my own beliefs? Yeah. Is my relationship growing more healthy or am I letting it become stagnant? So that's all 12 of them. So I, I got to tell you in closing that having a warm and, and loving relationship with another person is one of life's greatest achievements. And it's one of God's premium gifts to us. It contains all there is in great measure if you let it. Love, fun, sex, humor, tears, belly laughs, and pain. It is worth all of its trouble and tears ten times over. Our ability to conduct a good relationship usually has to be learned, and somehow it must become our way of life, our values. What we do when nobody's watching and there's not a chance of getting caught, that's who you really are. What do you do when nobody's watching and you absolutely know that nobody's going to catch you doing it? Socrates, uh, you've all heard of Socrates. He said one time, you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly do. Excellence, then. It's not an act, but a habit. So we hope that these traditions enrich your life as much as they have ours, and we thank you for your time and attention. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, thank you, April and Dylan, for putting us up in your home. Thank you for having us there. Thank you for taking care of letting us bring Charlie and let him be in here, too. And thank all of you. God bless you. It's been a privilege being here. Thank you.